you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo Church. This is the story of how scandalous grace invaded our world. This is the truth. This is the Gospel of John. In its pages you'll meet saints and sinners, the religious and the rebellious, heroes and villains. You'll be introduced to ordinary people and extraordinary characters. You'll visit faraway lands, see supernatural signs, and encounter magnificent beings from another dimension. But more than that, you'll meet Jesus, history's most controversial, divisive, and significant man. John said he wrote his eyewitness account that you may believe, that you may believe that Jesus is God, because he knew that believing that changes everything. Amen. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Wow, you guys are tired, apparently. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome, awesome. It's good to be with you. My name is Mark. My wife and I serve as the lead pastors here at Sozo. Thanks for coming and hanging out with us this morning. Uh, As you could probably uh, guess from that video, we are in a series through the Gospel of John, and we are enjoying it. Okay, good. Um... We're loving this series. We've been in here for a while. We will be in here for a while, um, and it's a good thing. Uh, we, we, we believe that, that John meant what he said when he said that he wrote his gospel that you may believe. It says that in John 20. Wrote his gospel that you may believe. So we've really been exploring it for that very purpose, and we've been making our way through it. Uh, seems like we've been here forever, doesn't it? Um, my son uh, made a joke this week. He uh, had a had a had a test his final in his Bible class at school, and I told him that if he failed the class, I was going to get fired. And he said, well, it would be your fault because you've only ever taught me John. So, um, so, yeah. <laughs> he didn't fail it, so we're all safe. Um, just thinking back as, as he was, you know, Thinking back, my son's in high school. Thinking back to that age in, in my life, and and uh, I moved a lot when I was growing up, and, and even as a, an adult for, for many many years, we moved quite a bit. Uh, I'm very grateful that that season of my life is over. Hallelujah, Amen. Uh, you can buy me a burial plot here in Spokane. I'm not going anywhere. But moved a lot, and and one of the things that you find when you move a lot is you get exposed to different cultures, even within the same country. Have you know different states have different cultures? If you doubt that, just drive a few minutes over to Idaho, and you'll find out that you might as well be in a different country right now. Um, just very, very different, and, and, and one of the very different places uh, we moved, when I was a young adult, uh, we just sort of started our family, we moved to the, to the great, uh, you can call it a state, but it's probably more like a nation, of Montana. And as a kid who spent most of his life either living in fairly large cities or on uh, tropical islands, moving to Montana was a bit of a culture shock. 
Montana was different. And on top of that, the church that we were serving at, Hope Church, uh, the, the main job that most people had in that church, uh, they were builders. They were home builders or they were commercial builders. They built stuff. And I, at that point in my life, knew even less about building than I know right now. And I know nothing about it right now. And yet I had this desire to communicate and to, to relate to the people in the church and to pastor them and to love them and to serve them. And so I did what I, I learned how to do in moving when I was a, a teenager and as a young, young person. I, I learned to listen to conversation and try to pick up on things just by conversation. Anybody else do that where you just try to listen to other people's conversations and maybe try to figure out what's going on that way? The problem with this for me was it led me to pick up phrases that I had no clue what they meant. So I kept hearing these builders talking about building houses or building commercial buildings, and they would use this phrase. They would say that they were trying to get dried in before winter. And then, and then they, they would have these conversations. So I had this same conversation. If, if I had it a dozen times, I had it a hundred times. Here's how the conversation went. Hey, Jerry, how's it going? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Oh, you're, you, what, what are you doing right now? Oh, we're building a house or a commercial building. Oh, great. You dried in yet? Oh, yeah, we got dried in. Oh, man, that's when stuff really starts going. Yeah, it is. I had that conversation. I had no clue what I was talking about. Didn't know anything of what I was like, okay, sure, great. And yet I had the conversation so many times, I, I, I was afraid to ask what I was saying. Anybody else have that before? You, you just, you're so far in the conversation, you're like, I don't even want to admit that we're not actually having a conversation right now. I'm just hoping you don't ask me any questions about what I just said to you. What I came to find out was that what dry didn't means is that the foundation has been laid, that the framework has been done to the point where you can put a roof on it and put walls around the outside and you can sort of, you can be, catch this, dry on the inside. Why I couldn't figure that out from context, we don't need to pull on that thread. But that was, that was sort of the, this, this repeating conversation I had. And, and I, I say that because I, I, I think that, that, that there's some parallels with our life, that our life needs to have, come on, some foundations laid and some walls built. We need to, have, we need to be dried in in the way that we think, in the way that we perceive, in the way that we live our lives. So let me, let me say this. What you hold to be truthful and factual and real becomes both the foundation, come on, and the framework by which you process your world. But, but it even influences not just how you process the world, but even how you perceive the world around you. What you hold to be, what did you hold to believe, what you think is true, what you think is right, what you think is real, what you think is factual. See, I've always known these things to be foundations and frameworks for our life. But what this last season in our world has really shown me is it's not just a foundation. It's not just a framework. Come on, for most of us, it actually becomes the filter through which we see life. We alter and edit. We gravitate toward things that reinforce what we believe is right, and what, we, what, we, what we believe is true, and what we believe is the factual reality of our world. And we avoid things, come on somebody, that seem to contradict that. So we, we end up not just having a foundation and a framework, we actually, what you believe becomes the filter through which you see everything. To the point where we have people who, 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 who aren't interested in hearing any opinion outside of what they already have come to believe. And let me just tell you, just pastorally here, this is just side bonus stuff. Facebook and YouTube know that you have a confirmation bias and lean into it, not away from it. I love you. 
Yard signs have become popular. Have you noticed this? People think that yard signs, I think, are the new bumper sticker. Because they, they, just like the bumper sticker makes your car look cheap, and nobody cares except for you, right? Like, yard signs are the new one. My, my neighbor put out a new, she, they like yard signs. They have lots of yard signs. Put out a new one that actually, I do like this one. It says, stop watching the media and just love your neighbor. <laughs> That's deep. Come on, the te- big tech just tries to lean into your confirmation biases. It tries to push you toward what you already believe. And, 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 and this is important because what you believe about Jesus, hear me please right now, what you believe about Jesus is the single most important thing about you. Come on, nothing is more important than what you hold to be true, factual, and real about Jesus. Nothing. nothing. It, it, it will affect everything else in your life. It will, it will influence the way you process, come on, and, and even perceive the world around you and the information that you are exposed to. Who Jesus is, is the most important. So the question then becomes, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And we can believe, you know, if you're here, if you're listening to me, my, my, my assumption is that you, you probably don't just outright dismiss Jesus as a goofball right off the bat. That's an option, but I'm assuming if you're listening to a preacher who has an open Bible on the stage, you're probably not in that camp. But what I worry about is this. It's, it's that you may just find him to be, come on, a good teacher. He's a good teacher. Or maybe he's a guru. Or maybe, 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 just maybe, my hope would be that you would come to realize that he is God. Is he just a good teacher? Does he just have good lessons for us to learn? You know, like turn the other cheek and, and that, that golden one about doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. You really think everybody else should follow that one? You know, he, he also taught, Jesus taught, if you listen to most modern day secularized Christians, you would come to realize that Jesus taught an 11th commandment. Do you know what the 11th commandment is? Thou shalt be nice. That's the most important one. Thou shalt be nice. He's a good teacher, and we should, you know, really listen to him. Maybe he's a guru. Maybe he's a super spiritual, elevated, exalted man who's really figured all this God consciousness thing out, and and he's trying to help us awaken the God consciousness within ourselves and really just move into that sort of a thing. Maybe he's this supernatural being. Maybe he's an alien. And so we should follow his example and we should be like him so that we can learn how to unlock the mysteries of the universe as well. Or perhaps, just perhaps, like John says, Jesus, come on, is God. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things and that he has come down to be one of us so that he might reveal the Father to us, redeem a people back to himself, and reconcile us to himself for his own pleasure and purpose. Those are our options. And John, the Gospel of John, is this amazing text written to us that not only declares, but I'm going to say demonstrates, therefore proves that Jesus is God. And he shows us not only that that is true, but also what it does to our life and to our world. So if you've got your Bibles, let's get into them. John chapter 12, verse 1. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet for the reading of God's Word. We love our Bibles, amen? Amen. John, we're going to read a little bit further than we have the last few weeks just because I want to get this into the reading. Uh, we're not going to tackle it uh, specifically this week, but I do want us to hear it 
Because I think it's important. It'll help frame out some things. So John chapter 12, verse 1 says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That's what chapter 11 predominantly had been about. You can go back and read that if you missed it. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bags, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. So that she may leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large, crowd, large crowds of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were coming away and believing in Jesus. Let's pray together this morning, church. Holy Spirit, we come before you this, this morning. And an awareness of your presence with us, an awareness of your moving, and an awareness of your desire to open our eyes. And we come with a desire to partner with you in your purpose and in your plan for this day. Jesus, we ask that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, that as you come and as you speak, we would be able to perceive and hear what it is that you would say. God, I, I pray for, for, for us, even though we may come, we admit, all of us come with, with, with a confirmation bias, with a desire to, to just have reinforced what we already think and what we already believe and how we already process. Lord, we come to you and we, we, we declare, we ask God, we don't care if our, if our foundation and our framework has been finished, if it's out of alignment, if it's not true, if it's not right. We, we plead with you this day to demolish any area where there is error and lack and that you would build those things back up. You say in your word that part of the work of the kingdom is to tear down and part of the work of the kingdom is to build up and we come to you openly asking you to do both of those things in our life today. Areas that need to be brought down, we ask that you tear them down. Areas that need to be build up, built up, we ask that you would build them up. God, we ask that we would hear, that we would receive, that we would respond, that as, as things are shifted, as, as areas are built in our life, God, that it would, it would not just be an internal thing, but it would bear fruit in our lives, that it would produce a difference in the way that we behave, God. And I declare today that I can't leave the same way I came in. I need to be made new. I need to be made a little more like you today. I need lies to be expelled from my thinking and truth to be deposited in my heart. God, I need this because you deserve all the glory and all the praise that my life can give you. So we come before you today, God, and say in this moment, 
have your way. In Jesus' name, everybody said? All right, go ahead and greet somebody around you and grab a seat. All right, you guys are too friendly. I heard a, I heard an account this week, um, some events that took place that, that, that surprised me. I'm to the point now, though, where I'm at the age uh, where when I say the other day, that could mean yesterday or 15 years ago. So take that for what you will. Um, <laughs> I believe it. Um, no, but the, I heard this account of, of, a, of a, a farmer's wife who wanted to have a party. She wanted to have some people over. She wanted to have a dinner party. She wanted to have some people over. But she was a very frugal woman. She didn't like to waste money. She didn't like to waste things. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good thing to have in a farmer's wife. And so she decided that she, she wanted to use the, the, the beef that they already had as a part of the meal. And so she started looking on the internet. She wanted to make this as fancy as she could. And so she started looking around, and she found Julia Child's recipe for beef stroganoff. Anybody had beef stroganoff? Beef stroganoff is good. She said, well, I already have the, the, meat, the beef, and I already have the cream, so, so I just need some mushrooms. And she looked into buying a bunch of mushrooms. She's going to feed a lot of people. And so she looked into buying these mushrooms. She realized mushrooms are going to cost her a lot of money. So she's, she's complaining to her husband about this. And he says, well, you know, babe, along the side of the barn, there's a whole mess of mushrooms growing. She was like, Really? So she went out there and checked them out, and she, she realized, yes, there's a ton of mushrooms growing. So she started to, to harvest them. She started to pull some up, but then she remembered some mushrooms are poisonous. So being the wise woman that she was, she cooked a couple of them up and fed them to the dog. Dog ate them all up. He was just having a, he loved them. And he ate them all up, was super happy, ran off into the yard, playing, jumping around. She was like, great, this is perfect. So she goes back, she harvests the rest of the mushrooms. She starts cooking them all up. People start showing up. She's finishing up the meal and, and she, she, she lays it out, this amazing spread with, with just the, the best of the best of the best and lays it all out for them. And, and everyone's freaking out because it's so good. And they're loving it. And they're, and they're giving her compliment after compliment. And, and toward the you know, end of the meal, everyone's finished one of the farm hands, come, hands comes running in, and she's freaking out. She says, she says, ma'am, ma'am, the dog's dead. Lady loses her mind. She grabs the phone, calls the local doctor. He comes rushing out and starts pumping everybody's stomachs. So everybody's pump, stomach's getting pumped, and right about the time that the last person's stomach's getting pumped, the, the, the wife goes out to find the farmhand and thank her for, for letting her know, and, and, and the, 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 this poor farmhand, she's just crying and crying and crying. The wife's trying to console her, and she looks at her, and she says, it's okay, it's okay, it's, it's, you know, it's my fault. And the lady looks, she goes, no, it's not. That truck didn't even slow down when it hit the dog. Missing information can cause you to act, overreact, or underreact in ways that would otherwise not be true. When you lack information, when you lack an understanding of all the things that are actually taking place, your behavior can seem crazy to some people. This story, I think, demonstrates that quite well to us because Mary has information that the other people at this dinner party, come on somebody, seem to be lacking. 
She seems to have an orientation that leads her to behave a certain way that others do not. And I'd like to talk to you about that information today. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, we're going to talk under the title, The Basis of Our Worship. The Basis of Our Worship, or How to Ascend the Hill of the Lord. How to Ascend the Hill of the Lord. I want to look at these two people to try to give us a picture of what we mean when we talk about the information that Mary had that, that the rest don't. I want to look at Mary and I want to look at Judas. These two people that seem to have direct interactions with Jesus at the dinner. Mary knows something about Jesus and Judas seems to miss it. Mary finds Jesus worthy of her actions. Judas finds her actions wasteful. But I want to say that the difference between Mary and Judas is not one of who cares for the poor and who doesn't. It's not even, hear me please, it's not even how finances should be handled with inside the kingdom. It's not what this story is about. I want to even push a little bit farther and say that the difference in their response was not even so much based upon uh, what we might call their worldview. I think that's a piece of the puzzle, but I don't think that's the foundation. I want to propose to you that the foundation of the difference in the way that they responded was that they had different theology. The difference was theological. The foundation of their difference. Why did Mary respond one way and Judas respond another way to the same event of Jesus being in their midst? Why is it? I want to say that it was theological. Now, here's the problem. We've got to define some terms. Because in our, in our modern, you know, sort of uh, just conversations amongst Christians, the, the, the term, the, the, the word theology and the word doctrine get used interchangeably. Now, that's not a, to be honest, that's not a problem if you're just having a conversation with each other. If you both kind of understand what you're talking about, that's not a problem at all. But for today's context, I need you to understand what the word theology really means. See, doctrine is, is sort of a, the, the, the big pieces of what we believe as Christians, but theology is one piece of that, or rather, maybe even we could say the foundation of that. Theology is the study or the understanding of God. Theology is the understanding or the study of God. Of God. It's, it's what you believe about God, about the nature of God, about the character of God, about the, about the person of God. Whatever you hold to be true. Let's use, our, let's use our definition that we used before. Whatever you hold to be truthful, factual, and real about God, that is your theology. That's your theology. Your theology is what you believe about God. Are you tracking with me? And, 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 and so I'm saying that their difference, Mary and Judas, believed fundamentally different things about God. I want to say this, and, and I, I don't have time this morning to unpack this or prove this statement to you, which is just a wonderful thing to a pre- for a preacher to do to you. Like, I'm going to tell you something I'm not going to prove. You get to do it on your own. Here's what I, here's what I believe. I don't think Judas ever thought Jesus was God. Which proves... That people can have the same experience, come on somebody, and come out with different conclusions on the other end. Judas and Mary were both there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and they came up with different conclusions about what that ultimately meant. 
I think Judas probably thought Jesus was a good teacher, certainly that he was a rabbi. He might have even believed that he was some sort of deliverance Messiah that would deliver the the, the nation of Israel from the bondage of Rome. But I do not believe that Judas thought, that he believed that his theology was such that Jesus was God. Now I need to teach you another $6 word. Can I teach you another $6 word? Good. Okay, another $6 word. So we have theology. Everybody say theology. The other one we're going to learn is doxology. Everybody say doxology. Doxology. Now doxology is the form and the function of our worship. Doxology is the form or the function of our worship. The way that you give glory and honor and praise and renown, the way that you exalt God, that would make up your doxology. Everybody say doxology. So what does theology have to do with doxology? What does theology have to do with doxology? Here's my big statement for the morning. Your doxology proves your theology. Your doxology proves your theology. How you respond and worship God proves what you actually think of the character and the nature, the value and the worth of God. How you respond to that truth of who you believe God to be. Doxology, we can say it this way, is the outward expression of your inward theology. It proves it. The way you worship demonstrates more about what you think about the person and the value and the worth of Jesus than anything you'll ever say. If you talk to lawyers, they'll tell you that for the most part, evidence convicts people, not testimony. Doxology is the testimony, is, is not just the testimony, it is the evidence of your theology. Let me say it this way. If your worship is anemic, it's because your theology is lacking. Got real quiet in here. See, our doxology, the way we worship, the forms and the function of our worship proves whether or not we really believe that Jesus is who we profess Him to be. If Jesus, this is what I'm trying to get to, if Jesus, hear me please, is a good teacher, if Jesus is a guru, if he's a super spiritual, you know, next level sort of being, then it is right and it is good and it's appropriate for us to obey what he says, to follow his teachings, to to kind of, you know, follow along in his example, to, to listen to his sage advice, Right? If he's a good teacher, if he's a guru, all of those things would be appropriate. If that's the truth of who Jesus is, if he's simply a good teacher, then hey, we should listen to him. He's good. He's a teacher. We should listen to what he teaches. What he teaches is good, so we should kind of do what he teaches. If he's a guru, we should, we should realize that, man, he's at another level. And if we want to get to that other level, we got to do what he does and follow what he says. And he's got sage advice for us. And so we should follow the 11th commandment and thou shalt be kind. But if he's God, then not only should we listen to what he says, follow what he teaches, and obey him, but if he is God, then he uniquely deserves the totality of not only our obedience, come on, but of our worship. 
your doxology proves your theology. We might say, oh, I believe Jesus is God, but if we, if we, if we refuse to worship Him, then we prove that we do not actually think He's God. He's just a guy who teaches me how to live my life well. He's just a guy who gets me out of hell, because that doesn't sound fun at all. Every version of hell I've ever read, I don't ever want to go there. None of them sound enjoyable to me. Jesus can get me out of that? Cool. I'll be team Jesus. But that will not result in any kind of sustained, functional worship in our lives. And I just want to be clear because, because uh, maybe some of you are sort of uh, jumping in at this point in, in, the, in, the, in the, the series, this little portion through this, this part where we're talking about worship and, and you need to make sure you understand something. Yes, all of our life is worship. Right? Like all of our life... But right now, what we're doing is we're trying to focus in on, we'll, we'll get to lifestyle worship in a minute. But what I'm, what I'm okay, I'm just going to level with you because I'm beating around the bush too much and I can tell you're, you're confused. What I think we're actually doing often when we talk about lifestyle worship is we're trying to avoid the spiritual, supernatural, sacrificial act of worship that God honors his people by uniquely calling them to do. We go, well, I'm not really like a, like a worship person. I'm more like a lifestyle worship person. Like when no one else, when other people are around, I'm a lifestyle worship person. And by myself, that's like, that's like me time. But if Jesus is God, then he is due corporate, sacrificial, expressive exaltation. He's, he, can I say it this way? And you can email me if you need to. He is owed that. And he gives the honor and the privilege of offering that to him to his, exclusively to his people. So if we claim to be his people, we ought to be those who offer worship. And what I'm saying this morning is your worship externally proves what your theo- theology internally claims. But let me, let, me, can I, let me flip it and be positive. Because that, that's, that, Pastor, that's kind of mean. That's, you're not following the 11th commandment. I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be nice. Let's say it this way. Your theology produces your doxology. So, so, so let, me, let, me, let, me, let me say it like this. If the issue is an anemic worship, a, a, a limited, uh, 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 okay, let's just, we can be friends. A, a pathetic worship expression, the, the way we solve that is not to try, to try to stir ourselves up to worship better. The way we deal with anemic worship, if you struggle, listen to me, with, with worshiping the way you know internally he, is, he, he ought to be worshipped. When you read the Bible, when you, when you look around at other believers even, which I don't normally recommend doing, but, but if you look around at others and you, you, you say, man, my worship is not to the place where it ought to be. The answer to that is not to find worship music you like more. It's not to try to make yourself more excited before you get, it's not drink more coffee before you get in church. 
That's not the way you deal with the anemic worship. The way you deal with anemic worship is deal with the anemic theology that is producing that anemic worship. One of the things that, 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 that is so confusing to me is that people, Christians, seem to think that you can either be an a intellectual, theological Christian or you can be an experiential, worshiping Christian. And the truth is, this theology is supposed to produce worship. And I'm here to tell you, I'm just leveling with you. If, if it's not, I'm going to tell you I don't believe you actually believe it. You've come to learn it and memorize it, but you don't actually believe it. Because if we believed it, come on somebody, it would produce, theology would produce doxology. Our, 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 our worship would be filled to a fuller expression than it is currently in our lives. Because doxology proves our theology, but it also, theology produces our doxology. And I want to hammer on this because this truth, this this. This, this version of it, this positive statement that your theology produces your doxology. That what you believe about God affects, changes, alters, informs the way you worship God. When that truth is grabbed a hold of and understood, it can bring a stability to your worship like you've never experienced. It can bring a stability to your relationship with God like you've always desired. If you're somebody who, who struggles, right? some, some, sometimes you're, 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 you're bold in your worship, sometimes you're bold in your witness, sometimes you're bold in your obedience, and other times you struggle and you lack, and there's this up and down and up and down. Listen to me. I need to kill a lie that you believe. This is not what the Christian life is supposed to be like. I'm not, I mean that in zero judgment for you. I don't say that to bring condemnation. I say that to bring liberation. Because the scriptures say that we move from glory, come on, to glory. Not glory to glory to glory. The L's always there. It stands for Lord. No, it doesn't. Um, always moving from glory. We are supposed to ever be increasing. So let me, let me say it like this. Let me say it like this. The core of what you believe about God should be stable and solid because God does not change or alter. Amen? So that the core of what you believe about Him should not be uh, up for debate. should be settled in your life. The complexity of your understanding of God should ever be expanding and growing because He is infinite. And we will spend all of eternity exploring who he is. So core, never. Complexity, ever. Tracking with me? We need, we need to allow our understanding of who God is to grow and shift and change and be expanded. Again, core doesn't change. We know who he is. We know who he is. But the complexity of that truth should be growing. So I want to help us, I want to help us in my, just my last few minutes here, I want to help us and try to give us some practical help for this as much as I can. Here's what I want to try to teach us. I want to try to teach us how to have, how to have worship in every season of your life. Anybody want to learn how to have worship in every season of your life? Come on, when you're doing great, how do you worship? When you're doing not so great, how do you worship? 
Okay, when me saying this isn't the Christian life does not mean that every day should be better than your last day. I'm saying what you need in the midst of good days and bad days is this amazing, wonderful thing. You ready for it? It's really deep. It's called stability. If I'm going to be totally pastorally blunt with you, I think it's one of the most lacking resources in the human experience in 2021. Stability. The older I get, the people I'm the most impressed with are the people when I was younger I thought were boring. Now I'm like, oh, wow. Stability is boring. But stability is necessary if we're going to build anything. So how do we worship in every season? First thing, really practical, so we're, we're going to go real practical. You look for what he is doing. You look for what, what is God do? Count your blessings, amen? What's he doing? What, what good is there in your life? And we, we thank him for that. We praise him for that. We worship him because he is actively involved. Now, come on, come on. Jesus proves Christmas was all about proving that God is with us. That he's not absent from us. That the lie that religion told us that God was disinterested and dissatisfied and, and, and disconnected from us is not true. That no, he is involved. He is active. He is with us in the midst of all of it. Amen? So we look, if if you're trying to find stability for your worship, first thing, first place you look, you look for what he is doing and you praise him for it. Let me me just say this, come on, If if you came here this morning by any other means than walking, you have something to praise Jesus for. I don't care if you own the car, you rent the car, you're still paying off the car, or somebody else gave you a ride here. It doesn't matter, you got here in a way other than walking, praise the Lord. If you have more than the clothes on your back right now, praise the Lord. If you have breath in your... Here's how low the bar was set in Psalms. If you're breathing, praise the Lord. It says everything that has breath, which means if you... The qualifications according to Psalms to be a worshiper is breathing. And how many of you are mad at me right now because you're now conscious of your breath and you're like, just stop thinking about it. Just stop thinking about it. Just... You're welcome. We praise him for what he is doing, but but what happens? Come on, let's be real. What happens when you look around and you can't see what he's doing? Well, then we go to the next step. We remember what he has done. Come on, when 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 we struggle with what he's doing, we we look back. We remind ourselves. Come on, come on. David said, "You stir yourself up in the Lord. You remind yourself what has he done." Come on, when was the last time he broke through? When was the last time that he did something impossible? When was the last time the miracle happened? When was the last time that breakthrough took place? When was the last time that the unexpected became reality in your life? And you thank him for the past things he's done. Come on, if you got nothing else, and you, but you, you've been redeemed, come on, we thank him for that. We exalt him because, hey, guess what? I get to be in relationship with you. You're my God and I'm your son and that's enough, come on, for me to worship you for all of eternity. But here's the truth. What, what, do, you, what do you do, come on, when, when the tears of the pain of what you're going through blind the eyes of your heart 
And the storms of life seem to cloud up your mind so that you are not able to remember, come on, what he even has done in the past. Am I the only one who's walked through seasons like that where, man, I, it's not just that I can't see what he's doing. Man, I'm so, I'm so stuck in the muck of the now. I, don't, I wonder if he's ever done anything. What do you, then, then you have an excuse. You don't have to worship. No. In those moments, we thank him for his promise. Come on, church, we, we thank him for the promise that has not yet been fulfilled. Even when I can't see what, I don't remember, I can't see what he's doing, even when I don't remember what he's done. Come on, I still worship him. This is what, this is what I like to call prophetic worship. I'm prophesying, I'm thanking him for stuff that hasn't even happened yet. This is what other people call crazy people worship. I like prophetic better, it sounds cooler. And crazy is offensive. And I know that. Thank him for what he's promised. I believe, my opinion, we can disagree, it's fine. You're allowed to be wrong, that's why we're in America. I believe that this type of worship is the type of worship that actually changes stuff. See, I think, I think when, when God led the people we sang about it this morning, it's one of my favorite worship songs, that Egypt song, that's friggin' awesome. Makes me cry every time we sing it. After that story that inspired that song, where he lead, led the, the, the people of Israel out of Egypt, as he took them, come on, into the promised land, do you, do you know what they found? They just found that everything was done for them and they didn't have any problems once they got there. No, that's not at all what they discovered. What they discovered was that, that God had prepared the land by allowing others to build houses in that land that, that he was giving to the people of Israel, but it required, hello somebody, them conquering those places. And so the first one of these that they come across is a place called Jericho. If you, if you, were, if you were a Christian in the 90s, you'll know this story because Josh and the big wall taught it to you. Veggie tales. Um... And the way God tells the, the, the people of Israel to conquer this fortified city, which had these gigantic walls, and, and, and really what you have now is, is a bunch of people who spent the last 40 years wandering around in a giant kitty litter box, and now they're supposed to go conquer this fortified city. And it's, 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 it's fundamentally, physically impossible for these people to do this, amen? It's like it's not going to happen. So what God d- tells them to do is to prophetically worship. He says, march around every day. One time, march around the walls. So they march around the walls, and then he says, and then he, he breaks the rules. I don't have time to preach this. He breaks the rules. He says, on the seventh day, when you should be resting, do seven times more work than you normally would do. March around the walls. He also breaks the rules, and he says, and this time, I want you to take the priests, which are never supposed to go into battle with you, take them with you. <laughs> and all of you are going to march around the walls seven times. And then at the end, here's what I want you I want you to shout the shout of victory even before the walls have fallen down. See, it's one thing to praise God for what he's doing in your life when you can see what he's doing. It's another thing to praise God even for what he has done. But it is a totally other, different thing on a different level when you praise God for what he has promised. And and I just just want to throw this out to you pastorally. Maybe Maybe the circumstance and the situation in your life that needs to be shifted and changed that you're waiting around for God to do something about, maybe he's asking you to stand in front of that thing prophetically. Come on, somebody, and worship him and thank him now for what he's promised to do later. 
And the rest of the story, in case you didn't watch VeggieTales, is the wall falls down. <laughs> Read one commentator that his belief was that the reason why the wall fell down, because the wall didn't actually fall down. I, mis- I misspoke. The wall didn't fall down. What the Bible says is the wall actually fell straight into the ground. Didn't fall over. And the reason why it couldn't fall over was the wall was so thick that if it fell over, it's still a wall. So God just pushed it into the ground so that the wall becomes a bridge for them to cross over. One commentator, I love this, ties this to the fact that the Bible says that God is enthroned. He is seated, enthroned. He sits, ruling on the praises of his people. He goes, he thinks what happened in Jerusalem, doesn't matter if it really did or not, it's awesome. He says what, what he thinks happened in Jerusalem is this, that as the people praised, God just sat down on the wall. <laughs> How, how many, I don't know about you, I got some walls Jesus needs to just sit on in my life. Just push him down. But if, if, if I can, I've got two minutes to go a little deeper. Can I go a little deeper? See, this, this stuff is all based upon time. But there's worship happening. There's worship happening in a place with no time. And so I, I, I want to I try to teach us how to get there. So we're going to go to Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. I want, I want to do this. I want, I, want to, I, want to, I want to push us past the place, beyond the place of, of space and time. So, so, so Revelation, we're going to, we're going to go. This, this is after John has experienced uh, uh, the voice of God, and God has called him out of the, the realm of space-time and called him up into eternity. We call that heaven. It's called him up. He's, he's, he's moved him from simply being able to experience the visible to now he's able to experience the more real, invisible that's all around all the time. And this is, this is Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. Here's what it says. Between the throne and the four living creatures. We'll get, we'll get to them in a minute. And among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it was slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowls and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, so see, even in heaven, if you hate new songs, we'll get used to them, because even in heaven, they have new songs. I like the old songs. Jesus likes the new ones. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard, Around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. 
Real quick here, here's what I want to show you. The elders worship in response to the actions of God. Do you see that? They see the lamb. Who's the lamb? This is like this is this is this is Sunday school level here, okay? Jesus is always the answer. Who's the lamb? Jesus is the lamb as if he were slain. So, 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 they, and they, their worship, if you look at the, con, the, the content of the worship, he's, he's worthy. Why? Because he took the scroll and he opened it. Because he was slain and he redeemed people. Because he made those people a kingdom of priests so that they could reign on the earth. So they worship because of his actions. They worship because of the actions of God. This is what we've been talking about the whole time. We worship because of what he's doing. We worship because of what he's done. We worship because of what he has promised. It's all based upon his actions. And when they worship, the elders cry, worthy. The elders cry, worthy. When we look at the actions of God, it proves his value. It it demonstrates his worth. So the elders, in response to the actions of God respond with calling him worthy. This is why, little theology lesson, this is what a doctrine lesson. See, I used to run around. This is doctrine lesson. This is why, this is why it's a new song. Because Jesus in the construct of time accomplishes these things, demonstrates his nature, demonstrates uh, his worthiness, and so then they respond, amen, with saying worthy. Worthy, 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 worthy. They declare the worth, the value of God. Now, let's go back. We're going to backtrack, rewind, Revelation chapter 4. Who loves the Bible? We're going to read a whole chapter. We're going to read a whole chapter of Revelation, and we're not going to talk about the Antichrist. Because he's not in here. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said come up here and I will show you what must take place after this at once I was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, and around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind, and the first living creature like a lion, and the second living creature like an ox, and the third living creature like the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them had six wings and full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never ceased to say, Holy, Holy, Holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Can I just real fast just pause the message for just a second? Heaven is weird. I'm going to help somebody that's new to this type of church. You, You came from a church where people were dignified 
and we're loud and, and you got friends that are like, you shouldn't worship that way. The Bible says that all things should be, done, should be done decently and in order. Just read them this verse and go, that's God's definition of decently and in order. <laughs> eyeballs inside, eyeballs outside. I don't even know what that means. It's like a rainbow, but it's green. Like, what? I, what are you talking about? There's like fire and lightning and glass and there's torches burning. Of course there's torches burning. There's fire and lightning. But notice what they're singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For, catch this, for you created all things. And by your will they exist and, and were created. Do you see it even there? The, the 24 elders, the, the humans that are there, right? Even in this, they're worshiping. Why? Because he created all things and he, ex- he made all things exist. So they, they, they worship in response to the actions of God. To what he has done. They respond to those things. But when we get to the angels, the angels sing a different song. What song do they sing? They sing holy. Because the angels worship in response to the attributes of God. Here's what I want to try to teach you this morning. That when, 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 the, when the, what he's doing can't be seen, what he has done can't be remembered, and even what he has promised cannot be believed, there is still a stability available for the people of God in our worship when we step and we worship him simply, come on, for who he is. The angels have never been redeemed, and yet they worship him. Because they, they forever perceive the holiness of God. Defined terms. Holy does not mean that he does not drink, smoke, or chew, or talk to anybody who do. I know that's what Grandma Betty told you it meant to be a Christian. And that holiness is about, you know, like apostolic Lutheran ladies. You know those ladies with the long denim dresses and the buns? Like they just ratchet the bun down, makes you more holy. That's, that, that's, that's not holiness. When we talk about the holiness of God, what we talk about is the otherliness of God. When, when the Old Testament talks about holiness, when it introduces this concept, here's what it says. That the Lord is holy, that no one is like the Lord. No, he, he's not like anybody else. And so, so, so the angels look at the otherliness of God and they just cry, holy, holy, holy. The angels, come on, cry, holy. So then here's what we say. When you see the value of Jesus, we cry, worthy. When we see the virtue of Jesus, we cry, holy. I, when we see the actions, let's use, let's use the words we used before. When we see the actions of Jesus, we cry worthy. When we see the attributes of Jesus, we cry holy. What we're committed to here, just, just, just point of order. What we're committed to here in, as we worship is what we like to call ascending the mountain. Ascending the mountain. That, that, ascending the mountain. 
my wife and I, don't be jealous. A couple years ago, don't be jealous. We're in Hawaii. Don't be jealous. It was awesome. Jesus lives there. He does. He visits here, but he lives there. I can show you where. <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were on Maui, and we found out that you can drive up to the top of the island. You can drive up to most of the way there, and you just have to walk this path up to the, the tallest point on the island. And, and so we, we did like, we're like, well, we have to do that. You can't be there and not do that. So we got there, and, and you get up there, and, and he, I got really frustrated because you get there, and they say, you're at the top of the mountain. And there's just this little, little like, like, like landing area, and you can like look around at all the, you know, the amazing view. But I got really angry because they lied to me because I'm in this really cool, really well-made, very well-maintained because God deserves the best. And so if Hawaii is his home, he deserves the best. So they do the best there, and they, it's really nice. But here's what I looked. I looked over. And there's a whole bunch of, like, this big pile of rocks that's higher than where I am right now. And I, I, I embarrassed my wife because I broke the rules. It says, like, don't go past the line. I'm like, I'm going past the line because there's a higher point I can get to. So I had to climb up to the tippy top of the highest point and stand there like, now I'm at the highest point. There's just something intrinsic in our human nature that's like, if you're going to get to the top, you have to get to the top. Am I the only one that feels this way? Come on. Back me up here. Like, it's just a lie if you say, like, that's the top. We, we went to the Big Island. The Big Island happens to have the southernmost place in the entire United States. You didn't know that, did you? It's, it's more southern than Texas. And so, so I was like, well, we have to go there. So we drive there, and I have to embarrass my wife because I have to walk out to the very edge and get my big toe over it because I want to be on the most southern part of the southern part. I'm like, all those people are bakers. They got the T-shirt, but they didn't do this. Something about this drive, I think, in the human heart to get to the pinnacle. So what we've committed to as the worship here at Sozo is this. We always want to get to the top of the mountain. And the top of the mountain, come on, is where it's not about what he's done. Come on, it's not about what he's doing. It's not even about what he's promised. All those things are important, and all of that is part of getting up the hill. But we are committed to get us every single time we gather to the place where we always and only, come on, just declare his worthiness and his holiness. Where everything else fades away and we, re, we, we practice what we will do for all of eternity. And we declare his holiness. We, 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 we say we're committed to vertical worship. Where it's not about us anymore. Come on, I love, I love singing and praising him for my testimony. Amen, that's a right and good thing to do. It's good to declare in praise because of what he's done. It's, it's good to, to declare and to praise because, come on, because he did bring us out of Egypt. That's all good fuel for worship. But when that fuel runs out, there's a fuel that will never run out. And it's the fuel of his attributes, his character, his nature, who he is. And so tonight, I invite you, let's gather back together and let's worship. Come on, because of what he's doing, come on, let's worship because of what he's done. Let's worship, let's, let's worship in front of some, some walls and see some walls come down, amen? But let's get to the place where we worship just simply because of who he is. And we exalt him because he's holy, because he's not like, come on, anybody else. 
because he's always and he is only good. Let's stand to our feet. We're going we're gonna to move toward our response. We're going to go quickly here because I want to give time to this response. So I'm, I'm going to talk fast, so listen fast. We're, we respond here as a church in, in a few different ways. We believe that it's right and good to respond when we hear. Amen? That, that, that my hope, my prayer, my belief is that, 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 that this moment, hello somebody, that this moment expanded, grew your theology. That you think, can I say it this way? That you think better about God now than you did I'm going to say 30 minutes, but I know it was way longer than that. But you love me. So if, if that's true, then that theology right now, right now should produce some doxology. That what you think about God should affect right now how you worship God. So we, we think it's right and good to respond. We do that three primary ways. Contemplation, celebration, communion. Contemplation is easy. This is just giving God time to to speak to us in this moment, giving God time to to take what we've heard. This this is what happens to me often when I hear preaching. God grabs a hold of something and just buries it in my heart. Give him time to do that, to press things in, to adjust things, to shift things, to answer the prayer that we prayed at the beginning, to demolish and to build up areas in our heart and our life that need to be need need to have that done. Next is celebration. We're gonna sing, we're gonna shout, we're gonna, we're gonna worship God. Come on, for who he is. Amen. We said last week it is right and good for the people of God to sing and shout to the Lord, to clap our hands, to lift our hands, and to dance and to kneel before him because of who he is. Amen? You're free to do all of those things. But then we also respond in communion, which I need to take a moment and explain. We First, I want to explain that we mean communion like the communion of the saints, like the coming together of the people of God. And so we believe that God meets us when we do that. We believe that as we, as we pray, as we make our needs known to one another, he answers our prayer. And so we, we give you a couple ways to do that. First, the primary, the thing I would encourage you to do the most, if you have a need in your life, if you are going through something, if you are here and you are not a believer and you would say, hey, I, I want to come into relationship with God. I want to I want to come into this right standing with God. I want to be a worshiper of God. You say that only God's people are those that are given the honor and the privilege to be those that worship him. I want to be one of those that worship him. If you're a part of that, we would, we would love you to do this. But if you're here and you just have a need in your body, in your life, in your soul, in your mind, your will, your emotions, your finances, your relationships, any need you might have, we would encourage you to go... F- Walk your way back to the cross. We've got a team of people that would love to stand and pray with you, would love to commune with you in that place. That's the primary thing we would call you to do. If you're uncomfortable with that for whatever reason, that welcome home card that my wife talked about earlier, let us know how we can be praying for you with that. We gather as a staff every Tuesday and we read those and we pray. We, we don't just kind of like, you know, idly go by. It's, it's the vast majority of what we do in our staff and we pray for the church. It's a privilege. It's an honor to do that. So if you have a prayer request and you're more comfortable doing it that way, go ahead and fill that out. Also, just as a side note, something good's happening. You're welcome to write that down too. We like praise reports as much as we like prayer requests. The other way we mean communion is the traditional, maybe Christian church way that you've heard communion. We believe it's right and good to remember that the means by which we are made right with God is the broken body, the shed blood, the buried, the resurrected, 
the ascended, the enthroned Jesus. So this morning, we're, we're, we're sort of easing our way back into some things. We, we still have what I lovingly refer to as Keurig communion available. So we have a, a couple of those. If you were able to grab those on your way in, and you have those. Those are available. But we also are, are slowly moving back to taking the way that we traditionally have around here, which is a method known as antiquation. So we have two stations set up on the edge here. We can take a wafer and dip it in the cup and partake as you feel led. Ask that you respect people and give them some distance so they have time to do that, but you're welcome to make your way and partake in that way if you either prefer it or if uh, you can't find any of the Keurig communion. But we're going to respond. We're going to sing. We're going to worship Jesus. Amen. Holy Spirit, thank you this morning. Thank you that you are here, that you are moving, that you are God and you are good. And we ask in this moment you grant repentance and faith to us, that you stir us up to believing that you cause us to open up our hearts, to open up our lives to you in a deeper way. God, I pray that you would expand our theology so that you can, you can grow our, our worship. God, that you would be exalted in this place. In Jesus' name, church, let's respond to the Lord.